wondered if we'd ever finish Galatians chapter 3. We've been here, I think, six weeks now. Uh, but we'll be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. I'm going to start in 25, just leading in, in that sentence. But now the, that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Uh, we often today hear people talk about uh, finding themselves. Uh, we need to find ourselves. There's this search for uh, self-identity. We see this in self-help books that try to seek people to find self-discovery. It's a great priority in the world around us. Others uh, look to find their self-identity in their uh, family history and genealogy. They try to discover who they are. Where did they come from? What is their ethnic heritage? What can they learn about themselves by looking at those who have come before them? It's appealing to us. It's attractive to us to try to find out who we are, what makes us who we are. And I think this is true not just in this age, but throughout history. We want to know who we are. And Paul here today gives the Christian the answer to this question, who am I? And he explains who we are through our relationships, through our relationship to God, through our relationship to one another, through our relationship to history. And that'll be our three points this morning as we come to our text, as we see who we are in Christ. We're going to see our, our adoption by God, or adopted by God, adopted into a family, and adopted into a history. Adopted by God, adopted into a family, and adopted into history. Paul begins here by establishing our paternity. Who is our father? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The, the argument is very simple. If you know Jesus, then you are a son of God. You know who you are. You know to whom you belong. You are a son and a daughter of the God most high. This is really, in a way, a climax to Paul's argument as he's been going through Galatians 3. He has just finished, as I read at the beginning of verse 25, uh, He's just finished telling us that we've been under a guardian. We said this word last week was a pedagogue or pedagogus, a guardian who is to keep us, to protect us, to discipline us until we come into the fullness of age. And he says, now you are no longer under that guardian. You are now sons and daughters of God and you have full rights and privileges as sons and daughters of God. And this is a message that the Galatians desperately needed to hear. 
As we've been going through the book of Galatians, you'll be reminded of the fact that there are those who had come into the church, the Judaizers, who have come and said, look, you need Jesus plus circumcision. In order to be in Christ, you must first be a Jew, ethnically. And they were dividing them into second-rate Christians. And Paul comes in and says, no. You are now in Christ, sons and daughters. He welcomes them fully and embraces them into the people of God, into God's family. He says the gospel is just as much for you as it is for the Jew. And the privileges of sonship are just as much yours. For you have been adopted. It is a legal adoption. If we go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism and we ask the question there, what is adoption? It states this, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. We have all the rights and privileges of sons of God. We are adopted then as true sons and daughters. The Christian gains all of these rights All of these privileges. This is the reality for those who are in Christ. Our father loved us so much that he would not leave us to ourselves. So he comes to us. He disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Not only does he discipline us, but he gives us a full share of his inheritance, Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The reality is this, there is no higher status that anyone in this world can claim than being called a son or a daughter of God. There is no higher status. And we gain all of this by having Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me what Paul has packed in here in half a sentence. Have you noticed we haven't left verse 26. This is half a sentence. For all of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are adopted as sons and daughters. You gain all of this by faith in Jesus Christ. You have union with him. You share in the blessing of Abraham, as he said in the the previous weeks. And you are adopted. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The only way we come as children is through faith, and the only way we come is through adoption. It can only be granted by the will of the Father, not through works. The Father is willing to adopt anyone who believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I'm sorry, I started... 26, I meant 27. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. He comes and says, you have been baptized into Christ. And he's what he's re- referring to here is the inward reality of spiritual cleansing by faith. It's not 
merely about the water. In fact, the water does nothing for us. It's the inward reality of the cleansing of faith. We have to understand what baptism is. Baptism comes as what we call one of our sacraments. We have two sacraments in the Presbyterian Church. We have baptism and we have uh, the, the Lord's table. So it's one of our sacraments. It's done in the name of the triune God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's done with the application of water. It is, as we say in our confession, a sign and a seal. It is a sign of the thing, the reality in us. It's not that it applies faith to us. It's a sign of the faith that is already there. And it seals for us the promises that we have in God. It's like an official mark on a public document, something that had to be notarized. Have you ever been to a notary and it's that stamp? It seals for us what is true. It's visibly confirming that we belong to God by faith. And there's a temptation in the church today. I think uh, in all evangelical churches, I don't think Presbyterians are excluded in this, to overemphasize baptism Baptism is not a sacrament that saves us. And of course, we, we baptize infants and we baptize adults. And here's the reality. In ni neither case does the baptism save. It simply doesn't. And this is exactly what Paul is warning them against. This, this idea, this belief that some physical marking will save. In fact, that's what they were saying, right? Hey, you uh, Gentiles, we need you to be physically circumcised so that you can really be in Christ. For them, the mark of circumcision was doing the saving work, and that's not true. Both circumcision and baptism signify the salvation that comes by grace through faith alone. And we can look through Scripture. There's a strong connection between circumcision and baptism. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so we apply this outward sign, no longer circumcision, but baptism, as a marking of the inward reality which is in us, of our membership into God's family, being received by faith. Baptism itself does not make us a child of God. Paul, as he was converted on the road to Damascus, was not baptized till two days later. That doesn't mean there was this two-day limbo period. The thief on the cross who said, Jesus said to, today you will be with me in paradise, never got the chance to come down and be baptized first. It's not the baptism. It's about what it signifies. Baptism, in a way, shows the world our adoption papers. It's important. It shows our union with Christ, that Christ is in the Christian, and the Christian is in Christ. It's a sign of that. It shows us that. It shows us the inward reality that we have when we come by faith. Romans 6, 3 and 4. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism, baptism is a sign of the gospel message of the cross and the empty tomb. Uh, Paul also uses the language here of put on. Our baptism, it, it, we were putting on Christ. It's clothing ourselves in Christ. The Christian is someone who has clothed themselves in Christ and now stands as a free, pure child of God. That is our reality now in him. Brothers and sisters, the reality of our adoption is a wondrous thing. In less than two weeks will be the three-year anniversary of the day I adopted Ashton and Gracie. And as I think you, when you adopt children, it really gives you a sense of what this means. I was able to show to Ashton and Gracie and to the world in a, in a courtroom downtown Pell City my love and commitment to them to be their father. I gave them my name. And this is something I will often talk about with them. Do you understand what it means that you were baptized? And there are many physical realities that changed because of it. They now have this whole other family that was not their family before. Cousins and uncles and a grandma and a grandpa. They have gained a depth in parenting that, that wasn't there before. Getting them to understand, you know, now you, you don't just have a mother. You have a mother and father. And look how God has blessed you through your baptism that you now have a mother who gets to stay home with you. And teach you even school as we've been homeschooling. There's a difference that changes in, for them when they're adopted. And this is no less true for the Christian as well. We rejoice in the fact that we have a new father. But guess what? I disappoint my children on a daily basis. That's just the reality of it. I acknowledge the fact that I disappoint them. I lose my temper with them. I get angry with them. I get frustrated and I, and I say at times mean things that I shouldn't say. But guess what? When you're adopted into God, he does not do that. He is perfect. You have a father who does not disappoint. He is not imperfect like I am imperfect. He is, in, he is perfect in everything that he does and this is the wondrous reality we have in God, that you can call yourself a son of God or a daughter of the God Most High, that you have been adopted by him. And he gives you all the love and care that a father would give you. But not only have you been adopted by God, but you've been adopted into a family. If you are Christ, then you are a son and daughter. But guess what that means? If the person next to you is also adopted into God, then they are also a son and daughter. And guess what that makes you? Family. You have relatives all among you here today. Some maybe that you didn't even know who are here visiting. They're your family. You belong to everyone who belongs to God. And being in Christ transcends and transforms our social categories. Paul lists Three things here that continue and have been the, the, the dividing force, I think, throughout history. Race, rank, and sex. Race, rank, and sex 
What race do you belong to? Where is your standing in the social ladder? What sex are you? Are you male or female? And this is not surprising. Consider this first century Jewish benediction. I think I would, I would be tarred and feathered and, and thrown out of the church if this was my benediction today as we were leaving. Blessed art thou, O Lord, O God, King of the universe, who has, made, who has not made me a foreigner. Blessed art thou, O our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, a King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I am not so foolish. <laughs> but this is what they were blessing God for, that he was not a foreigner, a slave, or a woman. These three things continue to divide. In fact, here we see the Jewish people saw the world in two parts. You were either a Jewish individual or you were a Gentile individual. It is a gulf that they wanted to maintain. And throughout the New Testament, we see signs of this struggle back and forth, back and forth. Much of history is, is a testament to this conflict. We see the continuing persecution even of the, the Jews through history the lingering effects of slavery in our own country, the oppression of women all around the world. And we have these walls, race against race, class against class, gender against gender. And Paul comes and says, there is none of this anymore if you are in Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. You are united in Christ. This division of race, rank, and sex can be overcome only in Christ. We are all God's children. The church is our family. Our relationships to one another must be based on our relationship to him. We are equal under the law. We are equal under the gospel. We are equal in our need for a savior. We all stand before him on the same footing. And this is why Paul argues against them so strenuously. They were coming into the church and they were putting a dividing line. Much like the curtain in the temple that said, or even the wall that said, Gentiles, you may not pass this wall. There is no dividing line in our access now to our Father. It's amazing, even through the sign of circumcision, not only drew ethnic boundaries, it, it drew a gender boundary as well. It was for men only, not for women. And baptism comes as a, as a sacrament for everyone. All God's children are baptized into Christ. The free person becomes a slave for Christ. The slave finds freedom in Christ. And really, there's times where we're tempted, or some people have come and talked about Paul, and, and they call him misogynist, and they call him a, a sexist. And yet, really, it is remarkable how much Paul, throughout his writings, promotes women. He promoted the full recognition of the gifts and statuses, or status of women in the church. He liberated them with them in the life of the church. But this does not mean, even though we are on the same fitting footing, that we rid ourselves of our differences. When you come into the church, you don't lose, lose who you are ethnically. I am part Dutch, part German. Those are the people I come from. 
There are all manner of people in the church. There are South Americans, there are Africans, there are Asians, Caucasians, all these things. We don't lose, we don't cease to be these things. When you come into the church, there are still bosses and employees. These don't cease. When you come into the church, there are still men and there still are women. That gender difference doesn't cease. Being in Christ establishes a fundamental unity in our diversity. Paul does not cease to be a Jew when he becomes a Christian. He is still a Jew. And we do not cease to be who we are when we become a Christian. We are given unique, each of us, a unique spiritual responsibility without threatening our fundamental equality in Christ. And the question becomes, why do we so often fail to understand this? And I think the only answer for this is because we don't know Jesus enough. We don't understand our position in him enough. In fact, we need to allow our differences to show the world what it means to be in Christ, that they don't hinder our unity. We have to be reminded that we are a family. Look around you. Look around you today. The people, hey, this side, that side's your family too. And this side, this side's your family too. And each and every one of us, we are the family that makes up the body of Christ. These are your brothers and your sisters. And we know a family's not always perfect. We know that in a family we're going to have fighting and bickering and squabbling and we're going to name call and so on and so forth. But we cannot allow divisions to remain among us. We must seek to love one another as Christ has loved us. Are you loving your brother and sister in Christ as Christ has loved you? Or are you allowing boundaries to remain? And perhaps maybe on the onset, we would say, well, I'm not necessarily struggling with these three boundaries that you've talked about, but we can still allow them to creep in. Personality differences, belief differences, and those that are not on the foundations of our faith, We must seek to be reconciled to one another as Christ has reconciled himself to us. Are you reconciling as Christ has reconciled you? It's something we cannot fail to do. But third and finally, we see that we are adopted into a history. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to the promise. God's new people in Christ is not just for the here and now, it's for all eternity. I am a child of God. I am a brother and sister to all those who are in God, and I am a son of Abraham. The fact that he calls us son here is of great importance. You would be tempted to say that he's being a bit, uh, again, sexist or misogynist. But Paul very poignantly calls us all, both male and female, sons here. It's not about an issue of masculinity. It's about an issue of inheritance. Only sons could inherit. And so when he says this, he's not saying females, you are now males. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying you have the right of inheritance now. You get to inherit what everyone else gets to inherit, and that which comes from Christ, the promise of Abraham. We will inherit everything God has promised to give his children. Forgiveness of sins, heaven, eternal life, and all the rest. And all it takes to be an heir is faith in Jesus Christ. When Gentiles come to faith in Jesus, they receive this inheritance. They become part of the family of God. The only family he has ever had. We come to God in Christ. We know our father. We know our siblings. We know who we are and who we will be forever. We have a rich history. So we can call ourselves, I am a son of Abraham. I am a daughter of Abraham. He is my forefather. We look to him. We see him as such. We are brought into the whole of God's people in the Old Testament. And we look to the Old Testament, its heritage, its history, its promises. They are all ours. We cannot neglect that. And so when you look at the Passover and we say, oh, oh, there's this story about the Israelites in exile or in Exodus or in Egypt, excuse me, one of these E words. In, in Egypt, and there's the, all these plagues and then the seventh plague and the coming and the Passover lamb and it's celebrated. That's your heritage. It's important for us. We cannot and should not ignore this rich history. It is there that we find who we are. We see the promises that God has given to us. But it's not only for the past and it's not only for the present, but it's also for the future, the future of history. We know that God has promised for us something. He has promised for us eternal life. This promise given to Abraham of both a people and a land is still for us today and it is still coming. We are united in Christ. We are united or we are united to God through Christ. We are united to one another and we have a certain hope in what is coming that Jesus will come again, that he is even now preparing a place for us. And so we rejoice in our unity with Christ. We rejoice in our unity with one another. Brothers and sisters, our adoption to be God is a, or to be God's children is a wonderful thing. We get to know that right now, at this moment, we have a new father. We have a new father. He is our father. He loves us. He calls us to come to him. And as he lovingly draws us to himself, we realize that he's not just scooping us up, but it's this wonderful, beautiful family hug. As he draws us all in. You ever do the family hugs? And we're all together with him. We have a family. We come together under the headship of Christ. And in him we are unified. Both to God and to one another. And we are to live this out. We should not allow divisions to come among us. We should not allow 
those to come in who would say, let me add to your gospel. Let me add to your faith. Let me tell you what you really need. We cannot allow divisions to come in the form of opinions. I don't like what you're saying. You don't like what I'm saying. So we're going to argue and we're going to bicker and we're going to allow divisions to come in. We cannot allow this. We must be unified both to God and to one another. And we're to remember our history. I'm excited. This In August, we get to take a trip to Iowa. My parents grew up in Iowa, and my family, a lot of my family is from Iowa. And we're going to go to Pella, Iowa. Pella is, if you ever heard of Pella windows, that's where they make Pella windows. And my great-great-grandfather came over from um, from He's Dutch. I don't Netherlands somewhere over there. Shows you I'm great history. Uh, and he came over and, and, and settled in Pella, Iowa. There's a museum in Pella. He was a master carpenter where there's still his woodwork today. And I get to take my children there. And I get to say, look what your grandfather made. And someone might say, well, that's not, that's not really their grandfather. And my answer to that is yes. Yes, it is their grandfather. Because they're my children. They are fully my children. They not only get all that is present now that I can give them, they get my history too. We have a rich history. One that we get to look back at and be encouraged. So as we get a pull into Pella, and there's in Pella there's these uh, miniature, they're miniature, 20 foot, 25 foot uh, windmills. I get to say, your grandfather made that with his hands. We look back to the Old Testament. We look at it and say, your father made this. He gives it to you as an inheritance. But not only do we get to look back and be encouraged, we get to look forward with hope. Everything that he has promised you will come to fruition for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are the offspring of Abraham, according to the promise, for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are sons and daughters of the God Most High, who have now received fully this inheritance. Brothers and sisters, do you know the rich history? Do you know the hope? Do you know the family you have been adopted into? It's not something that is mere words. It is reality. I urge you, if you don't know your family, get to know them. If you don't know your history, get to know it. And if you don't know what's coming, then get, go and see. This is the wonderful, beautiful truth set before us. Would it dwell richly in our hearts? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a new identity now in Christ Jesus. We are so thankful for what he has purchased us into. Lord, would we know you as our father? Would we know Jesus as our savior? And would we know one another as the family of God? We ask in Jesus' holy name, amen.